Hi, everybody. This is Carrie Diamond, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you to Organic Girl for sponsoring today's episode. Organic Girl is behind those beautiful organic greens like super spinach and baby kale that you see in the fresh veggie section of your favorite grocery. This holiday season, they're helping us go beyond salad with 12 days of giveaways. Check out their Instagram at Organic Girl for more. And be sure to peek at Cherry Bomb's Instagram feed to see how we use Organic Girl Greens in our test kitchen. Also, thanks to Le Cordon Bleu, the legendary culinary school with locations around the globe, from Paris to London to Ottawa. Visit cordonbleu.edu to learn about the wide array of programs available, from the nine-month Grand Diplôme course of intensive studies to three-hour classes on topics such as wine, cheese, tarts, and macaroons. And La Brea Bakery, which was founded in 1989 in Los Angeles with a commitment to time-honored bread-making traditions. Visit labreabakery.com to learn more about La Brea's sustainable sourcing, patient artisan baking process, and where nationwide you can find their products. La Brea Bakery. Every detail, deliciously done. Welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb, the show about women and food. I'm your host, Carrie Diamond. So I was in Charleston this weekend for the final leg of the Cherry Bomb cookbook tour. The gals from F&B Radio, Lindsay and Nikki, co-hosted our party at Monarch Wine Mar- Merchants, and we had such a blast. If you don't know F&B Radio, you guys should check it out. It's a very funny podcast with um, some great people in the food scene. Uh, the, uh, speaking of the food scene, the dining scene in Charleston was completely off the charts. While I was in town, I had some great meals at Bar Normandy, Fig, Chenu, just to name a few. Thank you to everybody who hung out with us, who just rolled out the red carpet for us, and who came to our event at Monarch Wine Merchants. Some more housekeeping. The Cherry Bomb team will be at the Brooklyn Shops Holiday Market this weekend, December 9th and 10th, from noon to 7 each day at City Point in downtown Brooklyn. It's curated by fashion editor Andrea Lynette and features lots of cool brands. I'll definitely be there all day Sunday, so come by and say hi, um, and I'll be popping in and out on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a really good time. Some of my favorite brands will be there, including Tucker, the fashion brand, and our friend Aaron McKenna of Aaron McKenna's Bakery. Then on Monday, the 12th of December, we'll be at the fashion boutique Bird in Williamsburg for a fun shopping night. That's Williamsburg in Brooklyn, along with DJ Justine D. We'll have signed copies of the Cherry Bomb Cookbook, plus drinks and treats from Casa Dragones Tequila, Ramona, Four and Twenty Blackbirds, and White Mustache. One more fun thing to check out, and everybody can take part in this. Cherry Bomb is doing a cool project with Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Saveur, and Cooking Light. Yes, you heard it right. We've all come together to do this project called Cook, Gather, Give. Basically, we're encouraging everybody to entertain for a good cause. You can throw a dinner party or a cocktail party and ask your guests to donate to the charity of your choice. We're focusing on organizations helping those affected by natural disasters, such as World Central Kitchen and SF Fights Fire, but you can donate wherever you like. Check out cookgathergive.com or cookgathergive on Instagram for more. 
We'll be doing a fun kickoff dinner tomorrow night with Chef Angie Marr of the Beatrice Inn and Lacey Hawkins. You might know her. She's the mixologist and Monkey 47 Gin Ambassador, plus some other special guests. So be sure to follow along on Instagram stories to see what we're up to. It's time for our cookbook call-in. Today, we're talking about pink spaghetti with Impatient Foods' Electra Wiedemann. Uh, the Impatient Foodie, actually, Electra Wiedemann. Electra shared this recipe with us for the Cherry Bomb Cookbook, and it's quickly become an Instagram favorite. Electra, are you there? Hi. Hi. How are I'm you? here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I'm losing my voice, and it's so funny because I've managed to do a whole year's worth of radio episodes without being sick or losing my voice. But I guess after, I, what is it, like eight weeks on the road and uh, all, 16 different cities, I've, I've kind of lost oy, it. Oy. <laughs> well, there's How? also a horrible cold going around, which I'm just getting over now. Oh, so. and that stinks <laughs> because, I, I mean, it's not a surprise it's on your Instagram, but you're a mama-to-be, so that's a drag because you can't take anything. I am. Yeah, I had to white-knuckle it through my first oh. cold. It was no fun. Poor baby, I'm <laughs> really sorry. really not fun. All right. So before we talk about the recipe, I want you to tell everybody what the Impatient Foodie philosophy is all about. So in a nutshell, Impatient Foodie philosophy is trying to bring the ideals of the slow food movement to the realities of fast-paced urban life. Um, when I first started it, I felt like I really wanted to kind of emulate Bon Appetit and these, you know, kind of slow food celebratory magazines and publications. But I was living in a small studio apartment at the time, um, had a tiny refrigerator and even tinier kitchen, and I just could never make it work. So I launched Impatient Foodie to try to figure out recipes and hacks that made slow food easier for me to participate in. So pink spaghetti is the perfect impatient foodie recipe because it's it's very dazzling but it's not that hard to make so why don't you tell us exactly it's not hard to make at all but it does kind of have a visual impact and it is so delicious it is my i think that if if i give birth to a bowl of beet spaghetti i would be surprised i hate it so much during my pregnancy (laughs) (laughs) it is my favorite um it is actually my favorite dish ever i want people not to focus on that visual right now of you giving birth (laughs) to a bowl of beet spaghetti, but let's move on to more to other things. Um, it, it's such a fun dish. Um, so why don't you tell us how the recipe came to be? Um, so my book, uh, the Impatient Foodie Cookbook, is an A to Z. It's an asparagus to zucchini, and each ingredient has four different suggestions for how to make it. And so, you know, we were kind of mulling around how to do beets and what we could do. And I remembered that years ago I had found a beet spaghetti recipe um, in a publication that shall remain nameless, um, but it was, I made it, it took a really long time, and they had used a bunch of very aromatic herbs, so it didn't end up tasting very good, but I remember the visual being so appealing, and so I kind of was thinking about how I could make it not only taste better, but also, you know, cut the cooking time excuse me, down by about a quarter. And we finally got there just by grating the beets on a cheese grater and sautéing them in some olive oil and water and then pureeing them with some ricotta, and that's basically the base of the sauce. And you top it with parmigiano and a little bit of um, lemon zest and toasted walnuts, and it is just so visually beautiful. It's got this beautiful, light taste. Um, I'm not even a huge fan of beets, to be honest with you, and I love the way that this tastes. Some people are afraid to cook with beets. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I was always afraid to cook with beets because they're a pain. Like, you have to, like, 
roast them or you have to boil them and they take forever and they like they're messy and they dye your hands and blah 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 so I understand kind of the hesitation but once you learn how to cook them in a few ways um, and easily they rapidly become kind of a fixture in my house once I kind of figured out how to hack them yeah once you once you get past your beet fear I'm the same way I used to just think why would anyone cook with a beet but, you know, they're so prevalent in the farmer's market, especially this time of year. And they really are easy once you once you just get it down. And I find they don't really stain my hands. I feel like oh, if really? you wash your hands enough, it's, it's maybe, gone. Maybe I'm not washing my hands correctly. <laughs> I find that they do kind of stain my hands. But now I feel like it's like a badge of honor. And I know it usually means that my favorite pasta is closely on the way. So exactly. I kind of celebrate the dyed hands now. <laughs> so a really one really fun thing about the spaghetti is it literally is stained the whole way through. I mean, it doesn't necessarily stain your oh, hands yeah. forever, but it does stain the spaghetti. So when you bite through the spaghetti, your spaghetti is literally pink. Yeah, it is a fuchsia, beautiful pink color all the way through. And I really love this recipe because it's so low touch and it's so delicious. And I serve it at dinner parties. And you, like the second you put it on the dinner table, everyone's like, what is that? Oh my God. You know, like phones get whipped out. Everybody's taking pictures of it. It's kind of like this great moment. So you're you're already impressive before anybody even bites into it. And then when they bite into it, they're even more impressed because it is so delicious. And then it's so nice with the lemon zest on top and some toasted walnuts and chiffonade totally. of basil. A little bit of basil. And, mm, it's just so good. So it's it hits on so many levels like taste, sight, smell, all these different things. Um, I am such a fan of a microplane I don't. If you guys don't have a microplane who are listening, you have to get one because I don't. So satisfying, aren't they? And to zest, they really are. To zest your lemon, like how the heck did anybody zest a lemon before the microplane was invented? Totally, I love it. It's not to not to be gross, but if you don't know what a microplane is, it's it's almost like something you would you would sort of scrape the bottom of your feet with. (laughs) <laughs> at, a, at a nail but salon. But you can make really good things with it, even like garlic. The other day I was microplaning yes. garlic and ginger, and it just makes it so easy and fast, and it's just this really satisfying feeling, too. But you know what? With it. with the garlic, I find it's hard to get the garlic out of the microplane, so not to be really fussy, but it's almost like you need a separate microplane just for your garlic. Because I, was, I went from garlic... I did a little um, Melissa Clark uh, yogurt dressing with with some grated garlic, and um, then I had to grate some nutmeg. I was making the Carly Kloss cookies from the cookbook. and Ooh, yum. Yeah, and you can't really grate garlic and then grate nutmeg. So it's, um, I don't know, I might need two microplanes moving forward. But anyway. Uh, well, since you love them, you'll just have an assortment of them. Exactly. My sweet and savory <laughs> microplanes. Very fussy. Um, all right, so this is such an easy recipe. If you're looking for something really fun and, and just kind of showstopper for a dinner party. Um, this is the way to go. If you can boil spaghetti, right, Letra, you can make this dish. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's literally like grating beets, putting them in a Cuisinart with ricotta and boiling water and making pasta, and then everything else is just one, two, three, and it's on your table in no time. Voila. And if you don't have a food processor, you can use a blender or, or oh, whatever, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. whatever you use for that. Um, so you you mentioned you published your first cookbook earlier this year, Impatient Foodie. You can find the recipe in that and also in the Cherry Bomb cookbook. But now you have two e-cookbooks available on your site. Tell us about those. I do. Yeah, I just published them. One is um, Impatient Cookies, which is 50 easy cookies for impatient bakers. Um, and I made that cookbook because 
when Impatient Foodie came out, the, my original cookbook in June, I got a lot of feedback saying, like, we love the recipes, but could you ever could you do something next time that has a little more desserts in it? And I realized there were a lot of impatient bakers out there that I hadn't really spoken to. I had some dessert recipes in my original um, cookbook, but not a, not enough, apparently. So <laughs> me and this woman named Claudia Sedotti uh, teamed up together and made 50 impatient cookies. Um, and they are so easy to make. And there's six different chapters, everything from holiday to gluten-free to no bake. And you can just, these are cookies you can have up in your table again in no time. And then the other book that I did was kind of something I created for myself, <laughs> which is a book called Mama Mocktails. Um, and they're all mocktail recipes that are designed to help you get through the harder symptoms of your pregnancy, whether it's nausea or kind of fatigue or whatever you're feeling, bloatedness and blah, 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 with ingredients that are really good for your growing child. And I created the, that book with two dietitians who are also both pregnant um, named Willow Jarosh and Stephanie Clark. So it's totally safe ingredients, delicious recipes that, you know, just kind of help you kick back with your feet up and help you kind of get through that first trimester, which is wonderful in a lot of ways, but also intense in a lot of ways. So mama mocktails. That's so you to do a, a mama, <laughs> mama mocktail. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, you are going to be a mama in just a few short weeks. So, you know, you're such a big part of the Cherry Bomb family. So we're just sending you and the little one so much love. Thank and you. We're very excited. I'm full term as of this past Monday. So just waiting now. Oh any, my gosh. any day now. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Well, big kiss to you. And uh, thank you. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Talk you too. To you soon. Bye. Bye. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Lily Diamond of Kale and Caramel. Le Cordon Bleu, the renowned culinary school, was founded in Paris 122 years ago by a young journalist named Mademoiselle Distel. In 1895, she launched the first weekly culinary magazine called La Cuisinière Le Cordon Bleu. She invited subscribers to take part in free cooking lessons with the chefs featured in her magazine. And from there, the school was born. In the years since, the Cordon Bleu's world-class instructors have taught French classical culinary techniques to everyone from home enthusiasts to food world legends. If you've dreamt of attending culinary school, maybe it's time to quit that boring corporate job and check out one of Le Cordon Bleu's 35 locations around the world. Or add a short workshop or weekend program at one of its schools to your next vacation. Visit cordonbleu.edu for course descriptions, dates, and online registration. It's all possible at Le Cordon Bleu. Our next guest, Lily Diamond, had, had a bohemian upbringing in Maui, thanks in part to her mother, who was an aromatherapist, herbologist, and author. Her mother's untimely passing led to a spiral of sadness, and Lily channeled her grief into writing and cooking, and eventually into her blog, Kale and Caramel. Earlier this year, Lily published the book based on the blog, Kale and Caramel, Recipes for Body, Heart, and Table. 
It's a beautifully written book, just filled with tons of wellness advice, um, lots of wisdom, and lots of emotion. And I am thrilled to welcome Lily Diamond to Radio Cherry Bomb. Lily? Hi, Carrie. Hi. How are you? I'm well. I'm weathering this firestorm down here. Gosh, right. So you're in, right now you're in Los Angeles. I am in Los Angeles, yep. How's it going? Well, there's a sort of deceivingly blue sky outside, um, which is, you know, belying the fires that are happening both west and east and, of course, north as well. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, California has just had such a rough year. Yeah, it's it's wild. A friend who was up up north in the Napa and Sonoma fires wrote saying, you know, this just feels like the twilight zone. And it's it's definitely an interesting time. I had a friend, actually, a couple of friends um, shared this beautiful uh, Joan Didion quote from Slouching Towards Bethlehem about how fire and the Santa Ana winds, which fuel the fires, really have, you know, for centuries played into this kind of psychogeographical landscape of Southern California. So that was a good reminder that, you know, this is not the first fire season we've weathered. No, but still. And then two months ago, you and I were in San Francisco together and and the whole Northern California area was dealing with what was going on up there. Well, we're, we're thinking of you and all our friends out there and just hope that um, the fires are contained pretty quickly. Yes, yes, me too. Well, thank, thank you for you. calling in, though, to talk to us. Um, this is a very rare call-in show. We almost never do them. But um, you I, you and I got to know each other this year, and I've just become such a huge fan of yours. So I really, really wanted you on the show before the end of the year. And the first thing we need to tell people is that we are not related. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. There's By our love of food and women only. <laughs> exactly. There is no nepotism at play here. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so uh, we just happen to share the last name and uh, are kind of tickled by that fact. Um, the other thing is uh, we are working with Lily as part of a La Brea Bakery influencer program, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Um, but first, your beautiful, beautiful book, Kale and Caramel, when did it, it came out this summer, right? It came out May 2nd. Mm-hmm. And did you go on the road for it? I did. I did a few different spurts of touring with the book. Um, you have, you know, experienced the intensity and wonder of book tour travel yourself, um, obviously, and we've intersected a bit along the, that path, which has been wonderful. Um, but yeah, I I spent a lot of time visiting different communities here in California, and then in the fall went a bit more on the road and. Um, was up in Portland, actually, coincidentally, at the same time that their wildfires were raging. Um, I seem to, to have a penchant for uh, following these fires around. Um, so Portland and uh, and then also I did New York, uh, Chicago, Indianapolis, um, and a few other uh, California spots along the way, Santa Barbara, Montecito, some lovely communities. It's just been really sweet to connect with readers. And um, a lot of folks will connect to the book through the thread of, of grief and loss and having lost a parent or really anyone very close to them. And 
So there's a particular kind of sweetness in meeting those folks who come out that have found some kind of solace or some slight degree of being less alone through reading the book. I can imagine because, you know, as I, as I read through it, I really, it was so emotional. I mean, the, your advice in the book about food and cooking is so great, but I was so drawn to your stories about your life in Maui and your mother and just the, the what she passed on to you and how you dealt with her dying. And it's, um, it's such a special book. I really, it wasn't what I expected at all when I picked it up. You know, it got sent to our office and I was flipping through it and I was like, wow, this is not the book I thought it was. Um, and then that led me to your blog. And, you know, I really have to commend you for it. You, you really share everything about your life in such a, in such a beautiful way um, that I can see a lot of people wanting to come and connect with you and, and hear you speak and, and just ask you follow-up questions about what you've written about. But let's go back um, to Maui. And uh, it, it, when I first met you, I was like, how is this girl from Hawaii? You know, you've got yeah. red hair, you're so pale. Um, I was like, I, I want to hear more about this. So let us tell us how you wound up in Maui as a child. Absolutely. So I, when I was about, I was born in Northern California and we left when I was two. I talk a little bit in the book about um, the community that I was born into, which was um, an intentional community slash commune slash, some might say a cult, but who are we to judge? <laughs> and um, it was called the Alive Tribe. And my parents decided that they had, you know, had enough of this kind of communal living at the point that we left. And we, they had met on Maui in the 70s. Um, they met in, actually in the parking lot of a grocery store uh, or saw each other rather um, in uh, their, you know, um, corresponding rental cars and then discovered that they were both staying at the same sort of hippie enclave in the rainforest later that day and became friends. My mother was studying herbology and aromatherapy in British Columbia at the time. She's not Canadian at all, um, but had was drawn out to the West Coast. Um, she's actually from Indiana. And um, they struck up a friendship, and their first date was my father invited her to come on a road trip with his 12-year-old son uh, in a VW pop-top van to Central America. And somehow completely counter to everything I know about her, <laughs> you know, now she said yes. Um, and then, you know, their lives began together and we moved to Maui when I was two. My parents started a body care and spa product company, which is where, you know, the inspiration for the kind of biodynamic approach that I take to wellness and self-care and, you know, body and beauty products comes from. Um, and while for a very long time, that was extraordinarily fringe and in a lot of ways it still is, of course, right? Like we, you know, for some of us, goop seems mainstream and for some of us, goop seems like the far end of the moon. So <laughs> I won't make any assumptions there, but I think, you know, there's a wider influence and knowledge of things like aromatherapy now than there was in the eighties and the early nineties. But at a certain point, my mom kind of was able to hit the stride of that spa boom 
and worked with a lot of the spas in Hawaii and beyond to create body care and spa products um, for, you know, private label lines for their spas and help build out their spas. So that was my world, you know, in Hawaii. And I grew up on Maui on uh, the side of Haleakala um, Crater, which is a big mountain in the, the central part of the island. And I grew up on the, the southern slopes, sort of in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by ranch land on one side and um, vineyards on the other. Lily, you describe it in the book as almost like Ireland. It is. And I was so surprised by that. there are actually that. Bo- uh, pictures in the book where you can see that a bit. Um, but it's, it is just astoundingly... Oh, and I, po- I actually posted a picture... On Instagram, um, I was just there for Thanksgiving, and I posted a picture on Instagram uh, maybe last week or the week before of those rolling green hills and these kind of low uh, rock walls that form, you know, a network of uh, contained land, you know, various properties um, on this southern, these southern slopes of Haleakala. And the land is just exquisite. And so... It's funny because you and I spoke about this, how I've always felt this affinity with, you know, people always assume that I'm Irish or Scottish or something. And I've always felt this affinity with that land and have never been there. But I feel like the land where I grew up in this, you know, bizarre way in which Hawaii contains multitudes of you know, different microclimates and ecosystems. I think it contains like 10 of the world's 14 different microclimates. Um, I, I feel like I, I've had the the pleasure of experiencing a little taste of that land. Tell us some of the things that gr- were literally growing in your backyard. So we, you know, my, my mom and dad spent a tremendous amount of time tending to the land um, that I grew up on. And we grew everything from um, beets and carrots and, you know, arugula and rosemary and thyme, all of the sort of standards of a, of a veggie garden that you would come to expect to figs and bananas, several different varieties of bananas. My favorite apple bananas are sort of only available in Hawaii. Or actually, that's not true. I, I've also seen them here um, in Southern California a bit because I believe they also grow in um, Mexico and maybe elsewhere in Latin America. But they will truly spoil you for every other kind of banana. They're like a little bit tart and just super, super delicious. Um, three different kinds of passion fruit, which in Hawaiian is called lilikoi. Um, so a purple, a yellow, and then a Jamaican variety, which has a very soft outer shell. Um, and many people revere the Jamaican lilikoi. I don't prefer it myself. Um, papayas strawberry guavas, Brazilian cherries, tangelos, Tahitian limes, Meyer lemons. I, I could keep going, but I'll stop. I mean, it, sound, it just absolutely sounds like heaven. You have to come someday. I, I, trust me, after reading your book, it's absolutely on my list. So, But you don't seem like you rebelled against this bohemian upbringing that you had. You know, you write about your mom being the queen of tofu and your parents dancing around um, the kitchen in their indoor Birkenstocks, which cracked me up (laughs) that they had their indoor and their outdoor Birkenstocks. But you embraced, you seem to embrace your upbringing. I did. I, I revered my parents and the way that they had 
chosen to live their lives and kind of the way that they had built their lives around these philosophies of helpfulness and real connection to the land. And I went to a Waldorf school from preschool through fifth grade. And I think that also really influenced my perspective. You know, I learned how to compost very early on and how to live in just a, a greater kind of symbiosis with the land. And that always felt very right and very true and very important to me. Lily, can you explain, can you just explain for a sec what a Waldorf school is? Absolutely. So Waldorf is a philosophy of education that was um, set forth by a German philosopher and educator named Rudolf Steiner in the early 20th century. And um, Waldorf is a sort of holistic a philosophy that focuses on the arts and on biodynamic farming. And um, there's a lot of uh, sort of self-created education. So we would draw and write our own um, course and study books um, from lessons that were put up on the chalkboard every day. And we would garden and compost and we learned to knit and to play the recorder and to bake bread and things like this. So all of these things that are extraordinarily bizarre for, for most people in America today seemed very normal to me from the time that I was young. And now it's all come full circle and, you know, exactly. it's gone a little mainstream. Now, now the Waldorf schools probably have their kindergartners like brewing craft kombucha. <laughs> Your mother would be amazed, wouldn't she, at, at just totally. all these things she believed in are becoming really more and more mainstream every day. Um, so totally. you went away to school, right? You went to Yale? I did. And I, I went to Yale. I really, I wouldn't even look at colleges on the West Coast, um, which I think sort of perplexed my parents. But I, I had the sense that there was just a much larger world out there. And I wanted to be able to explore that. And I also never really felt like I fit in with my peers in as when I was growing up in Hawaii. I always wanted my skin to be darker and I felt like, you know, I couldn't even tan and I just felt very out of place. And, um, you know, there are obvious and very intense political issues around the white colonialism that has, you know, taken place in Hawaii from the time that it was first, quote-unquote, discovered um, by, you know, the, the European world. So, and and those perpetuate. And so I, I felt very aware of those and very aware of my place. And I think when I go back now, I don't feel that same degree of tension. And maybe it's just because I'm more aware of, of all of the issues at play, but I definitely feel just as sensitive to to all of those challenges. What did you study at Yale? I studied literature and um, also dramatic literature. So my thesis was on actually women's communities and identity in um, the Greek tragedy Medea. So I've I've long taken a a strong interest in women and grief. Um, And then were you at school when you found out your mom was sick? No, I wasn't. It was actually, um, a, I was 23, so, um, or actually 22 at the time. So it was, it was the year after I had graduated. Um, and, you know, when you ask about rebelling, it's interesting because 
it it was actually in some ways it took her illness and her passing for me to really start to question um, the intense beliefs and ideologies that I had just taken on by osmosis so easily and taken for granted in a lot of ways. And that's not at all to say that, you know, it's not good to, to eat healthfully and to, you know, take care of ourselves and all of these things that my parents taught me, which of course are true. But I really took them as a kind of dogma that if you do X, Y, and Z, you know, if you drink the green juice, if you have your blue-green algae, if you, you know, do all of the things that, that you know, your parents slash goop tells you to do, then you'll somehow avoid uh, these terrible illnesses. And um, it was a shock to me to experience that that wasn't true, actually, that, um, you know, all of us are deeply fallible and mortal. And so there was a kind of softening that happened for me around just experiencing that I, I perhaps needed to look more deeply at the truth that I was going to choose to hold as paramount for my own life and versus those that I had just taken on and assumed were true and judged myself against um, in, in terms of how I ate and the ways that I lived and the choices that I made. And so a lot of things kind of softened and opened up for me um, in the wake of her death. And it's very, it's easy to understand why why you you went in that direction. You know, reading your book, I was angry for you and angry for your mom because I think a lot of us think the same thing. You know that that if we do the right things, that we'll live forever, or the people we love will live forever. And you know how awful to find out that that's just not the case. Um, yes. So yeah. So I'm just so sorry. I mean, your mom sounds like she was really an incredible person, and she was a writer too. I read she was an she author. She was a writer. Mm-hmm. She was a beautiful writer. She she actually wrote, the year before I was born, she wrote a, and published a book called um, Living with the Flowers, which if anyone <laughs> you know takes it upon themselves to, to Google, you'll see this picture of her in these sort of like resplendent silk gowns standing in what was their garden in Bolinas, California, which is just the most like back to the earth hippie scape you could imagine. So... Um, the book is really a kind of encyclopedia about, uh, you know, working with flowers and incorporating flowers into one's life in, in all manner of variety. Can you find that on, on eBay or Amazon used yes, books? Yes, you can. It's out of print. And then there was a second um, version of the book that came out uh, in the 90s called The Complete Book of Flowers. Um, and... Uh, both of them, I think you can even get maybe like used copies on Amazon. Um, so for anyone who, you know, is a true aromatherapy or flower lover, um, there are also tips on, you know, gardening, but all, all kinds of beautiful things. And gorgeous illustrations um, by a woman named Patricia Waters. Oh, I have to get that. I love getting getting old books on Amazon. So I'm I'll gonna... send you a copy. Oh, I, I'll, um, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Um, yes. so you, you channeled a lot of what you were going through into your blog, kale and caramel, yes. which you launched in 2012. Do I have that correct? Yes. Um, what made you decide to go into blogging? I knew absolutely nothing about blogging and 
when I started, it was uh, at the very fervent request of a couple different friends who simply wanted a place where they could find the recipes that I was making for us at dinner parties. And at first I told them, like, this is a terrible plan because I do not cook with recipes and I don't measure anything. So um, it was just very, I'm a very intuitive cook. And the whole, for me, if I could, the whole project of Kale and Caramel would sort of be recipe-less, but I understand that that's not helpful for most people. So I, you know, I appreciate the the craft of the recipe, of course, but I I also think I'm... I'm mostly interested in getting people more alive and more comfortable and um, more playful and excited about being in the kitchen. And I think the rigidity of recipes can um, sometimes feel really scary to people. So um, I, you know, I promised these friends I would sort of start. And one of my friends stood over my shoulder for a couple of weeks and made me measure everything. And she wrote everything down for me. Um, And so that was, that was its inception. You have very nice friends. So I do. I have I, very good friends. Just sort of a quick um, cheat sheet about Lily. If you go to her blog and you haven't looked at it before, go to the About section, and she has this thing called The Modern Girl's Guide to Being an All-Natural Badass, which is such a fun read and will make you have 8,000 follow-up questions to ask Lily um, that we won't get to. But we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to ask Lily a few of those follow-up questions. All right, Lily, we'll be right back with you, okay? Perfect. La Brea Bakery was founded in 1989 with a commitment to time-honored artisan traditions. This means a patient 24-hour process with master bakers who guide the proper rise, scoring, and baking for exceptional flavor. Each loaf is made using the original 1989 starter, creating an airy, open crumb, and a golden crust. For a delicious taste that's worthy of your most special moments, how about La Brea's take-and-bake classic French baguettes, or its gluten-free multi-grain sliced sandwich bread, or its rosemary olive oil round? To find a store near you that carries La Brea's breads, visit LaBreaBakery.com. La Brea Bakery. Every detail, deliciously done. This holiday season, Organic Girl, your favorite organic greens, is helping us go beyond salad with its 12 days of giveaways. Now through December 12th, enter to win cookbooks from some of your favorite influencers, plus a grand prize valued at more than $2,000 to truly take your kitchen beyond. The grand prize includes a $500 gift card to Sir La Table, monthly flower deliveries, an interior design service, a signed copy of the Cherry Bomb Cookbook, and of course, a year's supply of greens from Organic Girl. Just visit Organic Girl on Instagram for the details. And don't miss the Organic Girl Instagram stories today. Cherry Bomb is taking over to share the -the behind-the-scenes action from the Cherry Bomb Test Kitchen and all the delicious dishes we're making with Organic Girl. Welcome back to Radio Cherry Bomb. We're here with Lily Diamond of Kale and Caramel. Hey, Lily. Hi. All right. So a few of the follow-up questions I have from your badass guide to uh, to living. You said you wash your face with honey. Yes, I do. And this is truly what I write about this in the book as well um, and sort of jokingly call it my campaign for Raw Honey as skincare president. Um, it is such a miraculous solution to so many skin problems. And it was something that was taught to me by an esthetician probably 10 years ago. And I similarly, you know, couldn't quite believe her when she first told me. 
Um, but then as I did more research on it and saw, you know, that it was, it was something that was substantiated by other estheticians and, um, of course, you know, many ancient societies have used honey as a preservative for centuries, um, like the Egyptians, for example. Uh, it, everything kind of started to click into place. And, yeah, I, I wash my face with raw honey every day. It's a natural antibacterial and antiviral and skin preservative, which means that it's you know naturally anti-aging. And our skin has something that's called um, the acid mantle, which is uh, basically what regulates our skin's pH. And when we use really harsh detergents or cleansers on the skin, it disrupts the skin's acid mantle, um, which then allows for a much easier, um, you know, access to things, all sorts of terrible things that we don't like, like, you know, infections and acne and all of that. So maintaining the acid mantle protects the pH while simultaneously cleansing the skin. All right. You have to walk me through this, though, because I just envision like a giant mess in my bathroom. Totally. Like, how do you Which work most it? most people do. And then the second question is like, you know, if it's not a mess, don't you just want to stand there and eat the honey <laughs> off of your face? But do you like work it into your skin? Does the water have to be really hot to rinse it off? Like, walk me through this. So I recommend using um, a much thicker, more viscous honey. So not the kind of runny honey that you're accustomed to, but a raw honey that has been unfiltered. Um, and so has actually a little bit of granularity to it. I use probably about, I would say, half a, a quarter to half a teaspoon. I simply get my face a bit uh, wet. Like, I, you know, I just wet it with warm water and then scoop up that honey, massage it into my face, and you can, you know, take as long as you want to do that. Our skin always likes to be massaged. And, um, and then wash it off. It's so just did you simple. say a quarter of a teaspoon? I feel like you'd need more than that, no? Um, a quarter to a half. You don't need a ton, honestly. And if, if you have a, I talk about this some in the book, if you have an oilier skin type, um, you can always use a tiny, tiny bit of something like lemon juice, but you have to be careful with lemon juice because the acid can actually um, lighten the skin a little mm -hmm. bit. So you just have to be just have to be careful. It makes you more <laughs> sun sensitive too. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then you like to use a facial oil after that. I do. And you make I your do. own. I use a facial oil um, that is. Uh, I I use a blend of. Sometimes it's just pure sweet almond oil. Sometimes I will blend that with a um, sesame oil, not the kind of toasted sesame oil that you can make <laughs> delicious sauces with. Thanks for clarifying. Um, yeah, but uh, a, a raw sesame oil. Um, apricot kernel oil is also wonderful. Rosehip oil I've been really enjoying. But these oils, essentially, even for um, very oily skin types, Oilier skin types often tend to need even more moisture. The skin is overproducing oil because of um, its, its lack of it. So when we replenish the skin with just the pure kind of moisture that it needs, it will often balance itself out. So listeners, Lily is not just uh, filled with lots of great food recipes, but also beauty recipes. And you can find them in her book and on the blog as well. Um, okay, Lily, next question. You love, love, love green juices, but you don't 
have a juicer. You make all your juices in a Vitamix. It's true. So here's the the part where I just confess that I'm actually really lazy in the kitchen. (laughs) And I love my Vitamix. I use it, you know, often a couple times a day. I already used it once today. Um, And I... I, the, the bother of having to buy just mass quantities of fruits and veggies um, and then, you know, taking apart and cleaning all of the different um, parts of the machine of, of a juicer just doesn't appeal to me at all. So all of the juice recipes, both in the book and on the site, are all blendable. Um, I've, I also currently live just in a, uh, I, well, my apartment is lovely. I have a tiny, tiny, tiny kitchen. And so counter space is a very, you know, hot commodity. Uh, so for me, I, it's also an issue of practicality where, you know, I don't, I don't really have the space. But even if I did, I don't think I would choose to, to have a juicer. That's that's been my thing because I had I've had a juicer like years and years ago. I had a juicer and it was just such a pain the clean, and you were yeah. like I I just couldn't get into a routine because of the cleaning thing. So when I was reading your juice recipes, I was like, okay, this is it's a, it's kind of life changing, you know, to realize it that is. you don't have to go through all this it to have a nice such, juice. Yes, it makes such a big difference to just be able to throw, you know, like five or you know three or five leaves of kale instead of like a bunch of kale to make four ounces of juice or something three you know three leaves of kale some water you know quarter of an apple a lime whatever and blitz it up and and just be able to in 30 seconds pour yourself a glass of green juice you've also got all these great tips for boosting uh immunity which is a good thing this time of year letra you know was talking about having a cold and i'm clearly losing my voice here um, hopefully I will still have it next week, but, uh, it, there's just so much great wisdom, both on your blog and, and, in your book. How did you, when you decided to do the book, I know it's hard for some bloggers because you want to make the book kind of different, but you also want to make it, you know, sort of stick to that philosophy that you've been honing on your blog, um, you know, in case people discover you through the book. So how did you make, what was your approach to the, uh, to the book versus the blog? Yeah, so for me, I knew that, first of all, I wanted, if I, you know, if it, if I were to deign to take on, like, the ordeal and have the audacity to say that I actually wanted to write and publish a book, which I have, is a dream of mine that I've, you know, had since I was tiny. I've been writing since I was very, very young. Um, I I wanted it to be, you know, that, that sort of first rule of, of writing a book, like, what is it that only you can offer? And so I knew that structuring the book around aromatic herbs and flowers was something that felt really different, and it wasn't something, it wasn't a book structure that I had seen before. Um, and at the same time, narrative and story is, is always at the core of everything I do, and I think that we learn best through story. And so with that in mind, you know, the story that really has been the most formative part of my life uh, thus far has been this story of loss and the kind of simultaneous heartbreak and um, and then Ill- my mother's illness that I experienced and the changes that ensued in my life after that. And so I wanted to interweave the two such that I could show people how the plants that you know I used in the kitchen in the aftermath of all of this loss 
were actually a part of my healing. And that to me in its own way was very much a tribute to my mother. What do you think she would uh, think of your book? Oh, you're the first person who's asked me that. You know, so many people just will say, oh, you know, your mother would be so proud. And I appreciate the question. I have to say that. Um, I hope that she would love it. I think it would, I think it would uh, tickle her <laughs> to know that there were people reading about her, you know, all over. So, Well, the little bit I know about your mom, I think, I, I think it's a beautiful tribute to her. Mm, thank you. So one, let's talk about the book a little bit more, because one of the things I love about it is you're not just focused on, um, you know, even though you're a popular Instagrammer, you're not just focused on how food looks. You talk a lot about um, flavor and fragrance and scent and, and the healing nature of food. And I just found that so refreshing to read about. Um, and you break it up by herbs and flowers, which yeah, was an interesting so- approach. Yeah. Um, I again, I really wanted to take the the core of my upbringing of a kind of you know herbology and aromatherapy and a sense that herbs and plants and uh, in particular aromatic herbs and plants um, are our allies and can really be there for us as we weather the various storms of of life and various emotional and physical conditions. Um, these were all you know lessons that I first learned from my mom and were really, they kind of formed the fabric of how I saw the world as I was growing up. You know, I, I learned the, the purposes of various plants um, before I probably even learned some words. You know, I knew that lavender was, was good for alleviating depression and for, you know, calming anxiety and and that mint was, you know, peppermint was good for um, alleviating headache and that, you know, ginger was good for reducing nausea and rose was good for heartache. And so I wanted to, as, you know, we move through these various recipes, give people a framework to understand how they themselves can deepen their relationship to these plants. You know, one last thing I should note, you point out in the book, which I thought was really useful, that even though the sort of wellness that you're a proponent of has been kind of blasted for being so expensive and not being something that's accessible to everyone, you pointed out that it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I we're running out of time, but I would love for you just to give like a quick just tip for where you grocery shop, how you find some of these specialty ingredients and how they don't cause you to go broke. Absolutely. I, you know, I will say the entirety of my adult life, I have been on a budget. And so I, you know, I'm very, very cost sensitive. And um, it's amazing to me how when you just look at, you know, your pantry, your beauty pantry per se, you know, your coterie of whatever you're using on your skin and your hair. Um, and then also look at, you know, what you've got in, in your kitchen. If you kind of just take a step back and say, what do I absolutely need here? And not, not in a reductionist or minimalist way, like not at all to, um, limit what you have, but to really say like, what is most life sustaining? It's, a far fewer number of things than, than we think. And particularly in the realm of beauty, um, steering away from the costliness of 
you know, all of these kind of super products and things like that that we as a culture think we need right now and just saying, I'm going to buy, you know, a $6 jar of raw organic honey at Trader Joe's and, you know, a bottle of sweet almond oil and use those for the next three months on my skin and, you know, on my face and body, that radically shifts already the amount of money that you're, you know, expending on a monthly basis. All right. And you've got a lot more tips on the blog and in your book. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, because they're the nice folks who brought us together, La Brea Bakery. As I mentioned, yes. we're doing um, an influencer program with you and some other gals. And uh, you are developing some recipes for us, which we absolutely love. I've already volunteered um, to make your sage roasted Brussels sprouts with cheesy La Brea Bakery bread chunks. Uh, for a holiday dinner that's coming up, it looks so good. I can I, I love Brussels sprouts, so I'm kind of losing my mind over um, over that. But tell me a little bit about that dish. Any tips or tricks I need to know? Oh my gosh! I okay. So I am with you. I absolutely love Brussels sprouts, and I also love cheese, and I also love bread, and <laughs> I love roasting things, and I love having everything I roast on one pan. And so this recipe combines all of that, where you can, you literally just get to throw everything on one pan, except for, you know, your pomegranate seeds and extra cheese that you're going to throw on at the end, um, and roast it. And the bread, I used their um, cheese, uh, their three cheese semolina bread. Oh, I love which, that. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. It has these, like, cheesy pockets. And so you just tear that up, throw that onto the sheet pan along with the Brussels sprouts. Um, the whole thing gets tossed in more cheese and olive oil. And then um, I also threw in a bunch of sa- fresh sage leaves, which as it roasts, those, they impart their you know fragrance and flavor to the veggies and the bread, but they also crisp up themselves. So you've got these like crispy, you know, little roasted Brussels sprouts leaves, the crispy sage, and then these like super tendy, tender, chunky bread crumbs, which I just love. What is your next uh, La Brea recipe? Um, Well, we actually just did the last one this week, which I was similarly very uh, excited about. It was a um, baked brie with maple, rosemary, pears, and pecans on top. Um, and then I paired that with La Brea's uh, olive oil rosemary loaf, which I must confess, I have been making myself a piece of toast um, where I just drizzle that their olive oil rosemary loaf with more olive oil and <laughs> um, just grill it on the stovetop, just like pan toast it, Yum. and then drizzle it with um, honey and smoky uh, smoked sea salt. It's really good. Ooh, I have a thing of smoked sea salt, and I haven't known what to do with it, so I'm going to uh, try that. All right, Lily, I'm so sad. I have to end the show now. I've had such a nice time talking to you. This has been so wonderful. I'm just honored to spend the morning with you or afternoon on your time. Well, you know, good. and again, thinking of the safety of all our friends out in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, we'll be thinking of you. Um, and for our listeners, Lily's book is called Kale and Caramel Recipes for Body, Heart, and Table. You can also check out her blog. Um, but Lily, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Carrie.
And thank you to Organic Girl, the line of good, clean greens, for supporting Radio Cherry Bomb. Organic Girl's 12 days of giveaways is underway, so stop by Organic Girl on Instagram to learn more. And P.S., as part of this, we're giving away a signed copy of the Cherry Bomb cookbook, so don't miss out. Thank you to La Brea Bakery. Visit LaBreaBakery.com to find a store near you that carries their delicious breads. La Brea Bakery, every detail, deliciously done. And thank you to Le Cordon Bleu for supporting Radio Cherry Bomb all season long. Live the Cherry Bomb dream and sign up for culinary classes at cordonbleu.edu. That's it for today's show. Thanks to our ever-patient engineer, Dave Tadashore, producer Ali Mish, and our research assistant, Priya Krishna. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're the bomb. I'm Alexa Siemens, and I'm a tea consultant. Radio Cherry Bomb is a joint production of Cherry Bomb Magazine and the Heritage Radio Network. To subscribe or learn more about the magazine, visit cherrybomb.com. You know who I think is the bomb? Tania Darlington, otherwise known as Madame Fromage in Philadelphia. She's an inspiring teacher and a creative force in the world of cheese and cocktails. She lifts up every woman in the Philly food world. Radio Cherry Bomb is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.